Well, how are you feeling today? Are you alive? Come on, man. I know it's cold out, but hey, listen, I want to welcome everybody tuning in online from wherever you're watching and in those who are in the room. Can I just say two things real quick that I'm really thankful for? Number one, I'm thankful that you all drove to church today. So I just want to say give it up for every single one of you that... Hey, listen, what a great excuse to go. I'm just going to stay home. But no, all of you that showed up here today just saying, you know what, I can't wait. i got to get into the presence of God. Man, I'm, I'm so grateful for you to be here today. Second thing I want to say thank you for is just a personal thing. Uh, last week, if you were here, I just kind of shared about uh, my father-in-law who was in the hospital with COVID, asking you guys just to pray. He's kind of a founding partner of this church. And uh, I, I just wanted to come back around and say thank you. that All the people that came out and just said, hey, we're praying for your family and your father. It just meant the world to us. Really exciting thing happened in the middle of the week. He's just started to turn and change for the better and started to get better and better. And came off of oxygen, and this was even a surprise. I got a text early this morning that he is being released right now, and his wife is going to get him from the hospital. And um, I'm grateful for it because I know not all of the stories turn out that way. I just talked to somebody else who had a completely different situation, different, different scenario. And, um, and so if you're going through it, though, I just I want to encourage you. We're a community. We gather around each other when we're going through things. Amen. Amen. And so, hey, if you are new with us, uh, we're so excited to have you. And we kind of kicked off this year talking about what it looks like for us to be different. Um, Here's what I know. I want this year to be different from last year. And in order for us to experience something different, we might actually have to do something different, right? And, And the truth is this, when we talk about being different, talk about it's so easy to actually tend to just go with the flow with our culture and to kind of look like the world around us. Can I tell you something? If you spend your life looking like the world around you, you will also spend it living like the world around you. And, and, and some of us might say, oh, that sounds great, but can I just tell you what I see when I look around? I, I see what things that have become normal in our culture today, like anxiety is on the rise. Depression is on the rise. Broken families, we see it so much. Broken relationships, isolation, loneliness, financial turmoil. If that is the norm, can I just tell you I want different? Hello, I want different. And I really believe that we can experience what is different if we will step into it. Now listen, I believe that different is better. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it in the moment, but if we want to experience the better life that Jesus offers, we actually might have to live differently. Now last week, if you were here, as we were continuing this series, we talked about an area that all of us, myself included, struggle with, and that's worry. There are things that I worry about, and I shared a lot of those worries. There's things that we have anxiety about. And one of the things that we kind of discovered as we kind of dove into something Jesus said in Matthew 6 is that idolatry is actually the source of anxiety. And it almost doesn't make sense. What do you mean idolatry? I don't worship some other guy. Idolatry is the source of anxiety. Here's what Jesus said. He said, no one can serve two masters. You love one and be devoted to one, but not to both. And so we talked about it, you know, a lot of people say, well, I love God. You can love God, but but you can't love and serve God and also serve success. You can't love and serve God, but also love and serve achievement. And in the context, Jesus said, you can't love and serve him and at the same time love and serve money, right? It doesn't work. And what happens is the area that you elevate above God tends to be the area that we worry about the most. And so how do we deal with our worry? That's what we said last week. To put worry in its place, you have to put God in 
his place. What, what was that? Matthew 6, 33. Well, I'm not we're going to look at it today, but it's a really important verse, right? Here's what God said, all right? Seek first. Everybody say first. first. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so I, I want to just kind of talk about this idea of, of what it looks like for us to live different when it comes to the area of our finances. That's what Jesus talked about. In that context, he's talking about our financial resource. He said, these are the things. Matter of fact, maybe you recognize this verse. It's from that same passage. He, he, he said this, um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, he, he was talking about our financial resource. And so I wanna talk about what it looks like because listen, to operate our financial uh, resources in the same way as the world around us could be chaos. What's in the world around us is we're, we're overwhelmed by debt. We're worried about it all the time. We can never seem to get enough of it. We're stressed all the time. It's the thing that we fight about all the time with our family, our spouse. And so this is not the way that God intends for us to live. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. And I want to offer a resource. Now, this is something that we have carried before. We um, have this at the shop. There's still a few copies. But I want to encourage you, if this is an area you're like, I want to... I want to know how to experience freedom. There are a couple things you can do. One, you can sign up for Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey program. It's going to be starting very soon, in a few weeks. Do that. And second thing is I would encourage you to pick up this book called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris. I really think God has graced him with a message around generosity and around financial stewardship. And so I would encourage you. We have some at the shop if you want to do that. Here's the thing. When it comes to the talk of God and money, as a parent, it's almost kind of like the talk of, of sex with your kids, okay? It's really awkward, kind of uncomfortable, but you know you have to do it, all right? You, you really should. Okay, I just want to say that, all right? Moms and dads, don't leave that to the rest of the world. Okay, same thing sometimes is what people feel like when it comes to talking about God and money. It's like, oh, this is kind of awkward and uncomfortable. Okay, can I just say it doesn't need to be? Because I believe that there is something really powerful that we can discover, and, and I want to share that today. But here's what I have found. Here's the trap. A lot of times what happens is that people tend to fall into one of two extremes. Can I just tell you something when it comes to extremes? Extremes are extremely dangerous. If you need a way to remember that. Extremes are extremely dangerous. So one extreme is this idea that God exists to make you wealthy. God wants to prosper you with so much money that you're just going to be driving a bins and you're going to be living in the sweetest crib you can ever imagine. Like some people have this idea that, that God's primary purpose is almost like a genie, that if you rub the lamp, if you say the right things with faith and all this, that you can get God to do things for you financially. Can I just tell you that that is just a really dangerous extreme and that is a, a bad picture of God, okay? Can I say that, all right? The prosperity gospel concept. Then there's the other extreme, all the way on the other side, which is this idea that money must be evil, right? Because we all don't know what the Bible says, that money is the root of all evil, right? That wasn't a trick question. No, it's not. The love of money is, a, in other words, when we pursue it, remember, remember what Jesus said, you can only love and serve God or money, okay? And, and so what, what the other extreme is that, well, if, if that can cause so much trouble, that I don't want any of it, and I'm just gonna, I wanna be, live as poor as I can because that's holy and honorable to God, and, and can I just tell you that that's a false humility and a false extreme as well? 
Okay, how do we find the right perspective of God and money? Because the Bible, by the way, is full of talking about God and money. It's full of that. It is very real. It's something we all wrestle with. Resource, okay? Now, how do we, how do we find a proper perspective? Can I tell you what I think is a really healthy perspective when it comes to God in this area? It's to see God like a father. Like a father. How many of you are a parent? We'll just say mother or father. Raise your hand. Okay. You're going to connect probably with this, okay? Um, as a father, I have two daughters, and one of them's older and now married, and, and so I now have a son-in-law. Okay, I've got kids. As a father, I have this understanding, this feeling from the time they were little to growing up that I just want to bless my kids. You feel that way, parents? I want to lavishly love on my kids. I want to just dote on them. I want to, and some parents say this, I want to give my kids everything I didn't have. It's just, there's something inside of us that we just want to like lavishly bless our children, right? I mean, that's just an innate thing inside all of us. But on the other hand, here's what I know. I want to bless them, but I also don't want them to turn out to be spoiled, greedy brats. Right, moms and dads? And so sometimes there are things where they want, and I go, nope, I'm not giving that to you. Nope, I'm not doing that. Why? Because I know that if I gave them everything they want, they would be messed up, okay? And, and so I, I, there's a balance to this, but here's what Jesus helped us see. See God like a father when it comes to your finances. He's a father who loves his children and wants to bless his children. But here's what I would tell you as a dad. Okay, here's a, to the extent in which I would bless my daughters would have a lot to do with how they honored me, how they obeyed me, and how they treated me. Right, moms and dads? I mean, because I, I, I will put a roof over your head. I will do that. And I'll put some food on the table. I will do that. I'll give you some clothes. I will do that. But I don't have to do a lot of things. Okay, and so the way you treat me, you come up to me, you're never around me, but you're like, think I'm a bank, an ATM, come up, insert the card in your mouth and go, hey, dad, can I get another 20? Hey, can I get this, can I get this? Oh, I ain't gonna go very far. But if we have a relationship, a two-way loving relationship, my gosh, you do that, you know what I wanna do? Oh, I would love to bless you and take care of you. This is a healthy framework, listen, when it comes to how we see God. And so I want to talk about a really important principle, one that I think is maybe the most important principle, I want to say, when it comes to our financial resources, and it is far more than you can just imagine. It's not just about finances. There's a deeper thing when it talk about putting God first. Now, here's what I want to just give a little disclaimer. If you're someone who's here and you're not a follower of Jesus, okay, I just want to kind of release you of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. Now, now, why am I saying that? It's because, listen, the things that we do in response to God when you're a follower of Jesus is that you want to obey him and you want to follow his word. And so if you're someone who's like, I'm not sure, I'm, I don't know that I'm really a Jesus person. I don't know that I believe in God, but I'm here. I'm glad you're here. You came to the right place. Here's what I would say. Today, eat the fish, spit out the bones. Okay? If something you go, that's helpful, you know. But otherwise, hey, listen. Here's the most important thing you could hear today. You have a heavenly father that wants desperately to be in relationship with you. That's the most important thing that you could hear today if you don't know Jesus. Okay? Can we say that? All right? And uh, now, the second thing I wanted to say is this. If you're a young person, now I'll let you determine what that is. 
Some people are like, woo! I'm like, uh, I don't know if you're that young. Okay, but whatever. If you're, listen, if you're a young person, let me speak specifically to when I first learned this, I was 17 years old. And I'm telling you today, as someone who has lived a few decades since then, I am so grateful that I learned this when I was young. This was one of the most life-changing principles that I'm serious can really affect your future. And so if you're young, pay attention. And, And by the way, I found that sometimes we are young in the Lord, and so you could be 63 and still learn this and step into it today. Okay, so anyways, if you have a Bible with you, I would love for you to get it out or turn it on. And we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 26 today. Now, I've never preached from this passage before, so this is going to be so fresh. You've never heard any of this before. Uh, maybe some of it you've heard before. But I've never preached from this. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Let me give you just a, a real quick setup before we read this. Uh, Moses, the guy that God used to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery, okay, he, he was kind of at the end of his tenure, And after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, if you know that story, they're about to step into the promised land, but Moses isn't going. Joshua, his aide, is going to take them in. And so Moses is kind of giving a final pep talk. This is the fifth book of your Bible in the Old Testament. This is kind of the end of the story of Moses. And he's kind of like giving the little pregame kind of, you know, pep talk about right before they go into the promised land. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. I want to read the whole thing. It's, it's going to be a lot. Is it okay? Do you have enough like in you that you can receive a little bit of the Bible today? I've got, okay, maybe a lot. If you're someone that loves the Bible, you're going to love today. You're going to need to take notes. You're going to need to write a lot of this stuff down because it's really powerful. Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11 says, When you have entered the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the what? Can you all say that word out loud? Some of the? Some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God has given you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. That would be a place of worship. And say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to this land, the land swore to our ancestors to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall also declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to, into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. Some of you probably know this story, okay? This is Jacob. And he says, but the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the what? Say it out loud. I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Okay, now this is right before the Israelites are about to step into the promised land. Now you know that story. 
They're about to go in and fight for the land that God said he'd give them. Now, what's interesting is God said, I'm going to give you this land. The problem is there were people living there. Now, if you know the story, they used to own that. Their forefathers, their ancestors, that's where God had given Abraham and Isaac and Jacob this land. But then a famine came. I'm just recapping the story of the Bible. And then they went to Egypt. Then they became this huge nation and were there for 430 years, but so big that they ended up becoming enslaved by the Egyptians and they were treated badly. And then God sent Moses, you know the story, did these miracles, led them out, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now they're finally going in to get this land. There's giants in the land. We know that. There are fortified cities. They're going to have to fight. They're going to have to go in and conquer and take the land. So I have a question for you. Because there's kind of two ways of looking at this. This is my simple question. Did they take it or did God give it? I want you to just think about this for a moment. When it comes to the land that God said, okay, I'm giving you this land. Yeah, but it's, it's already got occupants in there. Squatters' rights. They already have access to the cities and the homes. Here's my question. Did they take it or did God give it? Now, that's a, that maybe it's a little bit of a trick question, Here's the thing. Moses is saying, God's given you this land, but here's what we know. They actually had to go in and take it. They had to go in and conquer it. They had to go fight for it. This is what they had to do in order to possess the land, right? And so here's why I want us to ask that question. It's because when it comes to the resource, when it comes to land, when it comes to houses, when it comes to stuff that we all acquire, we all need to ask this question of ourselves. Did I take it? Did I earn it? Did I build it? Did I make it? Or did God give it? We all need to ask that question. Because here's what I've found. When I get up early and when I go to work and I spent years in school and I kind of you know, labor for this and I had to work for a bad boss and I had to do these things, I kind of get the feeling that I, I earned everything I have. You ever feel that way? I feel that way all the time. Paychecks got my name on it. I work for it. I preached for it. I can say that. I earned that. I put time in for that. I conquered that. I, some of you business owners, you started from scratch, and I built it all with my bare hands. And sometimes we get this idea, we did it. I did it. I conquered it. But can I just tell you something? The Israelites actually didn't take anything that God didn't give. Okay? Here's how we know this. Because when you follow the story when they go into the promised land, you discover it in the first two battles that they faced. The very first battle they faced when they go into this uh, new land was they fought against the city of what? Does anybody know? Say it out loud. The Jericho. Okay, three people. Hey, man, we're, we're going to have to go back over that. So that'll be next week. Joshua chapter 6. Okay, come back next week. Uh, they went and fought this city called Jericho that was fortified. It was one of the hardest cities to tackle. And God said, go get that one first. And fortified, huge, big walls. And so if you know this story now, you're like, oh, okay, pastor, I knew that. I knew that. Um, when, when God told him to go in, he said, here's your strategy. Some of you know this, right? I want you to march around the walls of the city of Jericho for seven days, right? And as soon as you get done and you're really tired, and you're exhausted from walking a lot. I want you to make a big loud sound and blow the trumpets and that'll scare them. And then I want you to scale the walls and climb over top and then jump down on top of them and ha and get them. That's what happened, right? No, what happened? The moment they made a, a trumpet blast and they all shouted, the walls came 
tumbling. Yes, some of you went to Sunday school. The walls came tumbling down, right? God did it. They took it. But, but God did it. Now, here's the thing. They got kind of cocky. They were like, oh, man, we're so good. Like, we, we got this. That they saw this little town in the distance called AI. It's literally just AI. That's, that's how it's spelled, AI. And, um, and they were so little. They weren't really guarded. They didn't have walls. It's like, God, thank you for that. We got this. And so uh, Joshua sent just a single battalion, 3,000 soldiers. I don't know if that's a battalion. But anyways, sent a a group of soldiers to go and attack the town of Ai. And it should have been a cakewalk, but they got their butts handed to them. Because God wasn't with them. This is really important. I'm trying to help you to see something. Okay, God wasn't with them. He wasn't with them because they actually kept for themselves something that was devoted to God in the first city. Okay. And because of that, God did not favor them or bless them, and they, they got beat, okay? So, so when we ask this question, and we have to ask it ourselves, when it comes to our personal, when it comes to our work, when it comes to our careers, when it comes to our jobs, when it comes to everything, all this stuff that you have earned, and I know it's yours, and it's got your name on the deed, and all that good stuff, here's the simple truth of what we need to get, and that is this thought. Everything we possess is actually God's possession, Some of you need to write that down. I'm just going to give you a second to do that. Oh, he wants to write it down. Yeah. Everything we possess is actually God's possession. I know it might be in your hands right now. I know you might have the keys to the house right now. I know your name might be on the title right now. But I need us to get this concept because we get it twisted. Everything we possess, in other words, everything that's in our hands is actually God's possession. Now, some of you in your mind right now, you're kicking back. You're like, no, no, no. I work for this, and I paid cash. The bank doesn't even own my my house and my land. We paid it off. I got the deed. It's mine. I understand you feel that way. So let me ask us all a really important question. All the stuff you own, you know, the money in the bank, the dirt your house is on, the car you drive. Okay. What happens to all of that when you die? I mean, it's yours. I get it. I get it. What happens to it when you die? You keep it, right? Your stuff is, I mean, I'll tell you what, man, when they put me in that casket, I'm going to say, give me as much of that dirt as I can fit into the casket. Because I bought, I own that. That's my dirt. What happens to all this stuff that you say is mine, 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 when you die? It goes to somebody else. No, I want to keep it. Too bad. See, see, this is something that Solomon, King Solomon, one of the wisest and wealthiest people to ever live on the planet, okay? This was something he discovered after spending his entire life trying to accumulate mass wealth. He writes about it in Ecclesiastes. You know what he said? He said, this is meaningless. I spent my whole life working to earn this, and now it goes to somebody else who didn't do anything to earn it. And here's the, here's the reality. You and I don't own it. We don't own it. I know we think we do, but we don't. It goes to someone else. We pass it on. Hey, you might get to pick who you get to give it to. That's great, but you don't get to keep it. And somebody who didn't work as hard as you and didn't do all that stuff, they get it, right? It's called an inheritance. Inheritance is bittersweet. Somebody you love died, but you get what they had. It's bittersweet, right? See, I I want us to get this principle because 
I think sometimes when it comes to the soil that our house is built on and the resource that we have, we think that it's all ours. So I brought something to maybe help us to see this a little bit. Um, see, we all probably have some dirt. You know, you might rent some dirt right now. You might not own dirt like some other people do, but we all have some dirt, right? We all have some soil. We all have got, some, I, got a, I got a house, and by the way, when we bought our lot that we built our house on, we paid it off. So it's ours, right? So this is my dirt, my dirt. Not, not, okay, you know, it's not particularly my, from my house. But this is, you understand the point, right? This is my dirt. And then we have other things that we have, which is seed, okay? Um, because in order to produce something, you've got to put something in the dirt. And right, and so we, we've got seed. Now, here's the thing about seed. When you think about seed, um, seed is not something that I created, but it could be something that I have, right? And, and you need seed and you need soil if you're gonna produce something. You need both of these. Here's what's interesting about the seed and the soil, right? What's interesting about the seed and the soil is that I didn't make any of this. Now, I could plant a garden, and I can grow some food that I can survive and live on, and I can have property that I can build a shelter on, and I can say this is mine. But the truth is, I actually didn't make this. I don't know how to make dirt. I don't know that you can make more dirt, right? I don't know how to make seed. We can't make seed. I mean, we might be able to genetically engineer some kind of fabricate seed, but all we're doing is trying to model it off of something that God already created. And by the way, there's so much potential in the seed, right? Because you put this inside of this, all the stuff that you, I know some of you are going, I don't do anything with seed. I go to work and I put my time in and they give me a paycheck. Can I tell you that's your seed? Okay, you may not put it in the ground. You might go and you might process somebody else's stuff, but somebody pays you because it's your seed. That's what I'm talking about, right? And so here's what God told him. He said, when you go into this land and you harvest a crop, he said, I want you to take the first fruits of the crop. Okay, so here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna have seed and you're gonna have soil. And he said, I want you to take the first fruits of the crop, and I want you to put it in a basket and give it to me. So God said. And here's something I think that God wanted them to understand. Here's a truth that God wanted to teach them, okay? And I think he wants to teach us. I don't own the seed. I don't own the soil. And I don't produce the fruit. It all belongs to God, right? Psalm 24, verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything that you and I have an opportunity to possess in our hands, it actually belongs to our creator. We're playing in his sandbox. And he said, when you get to enjoy the fruit of your labor, I want you to pause and remember that it's because of me that you get to enjoy this, right? Now, I hope you know that when I talk about the seed and say, in the soil, this isn't ours. This isn't ours, then what does that make us? Can I give you another thought? Is this, we are just the steward of the seed. You and I, we just steward the seed. That's all we do. It's in our hands for maybe 60, 70, 80, 90, if we're lucky, 100 years. 
but we steward the seed. Now, I hope you understand. I'm not talking about this kind of seed. I don't know what it is. I, I said, Judah, can you get me some seed? And he got me some seed. I said, oh, great, some, some seed. I said, what kind of seed is this? He said, it's bird seed. I said, so if I put this in the soil, it makes birds? What does that mean? <laughs> you have to work with me. It's just an illustration. It's just, okay. When I, when I talk about seed, I hope you understand that everything that you and I have comes from seed. You were made because of seed. I thought we were talking about money, not sex. Yeah, okay. But you and I, I need you to see this. Okay, everything about who you are, your personality, your strength, your intellect, and all that. Do you know that a lot of that can be traced back to something that was inherited that you didn't actually earn? You know that? That's, remember inheritance? God said, I'm giving you this land as an inheritance. What's an inheritance? I didn't earn it. Someone gave it to me. Can I, just, can I just say something about you? Because some of you are so successful and you've been great at business or maybe you're great with your hands and then you started your own business, plumbing, um, doing iron work, doing whatever. You're so good at that. Some of you are really intelligent. Like you're so smart and you do great at math and you went into engineering and you're killing it and now you're making six figures and doing all this good stuff. And you're like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good for myself. Can I tell you, all of that is the result of inheriting seed that you had nothing to do with. You understand that, right? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, that, that's why you notice this. Remember when you were in school and then there would be like these kids, they would be in class and they were so stupid smart, okay? And it's like they were brilliant at math and you were like, I work just as hard as, as she does. I heard that. And it just comes so easy. You ever know anybody like that? Numbers come so easy to them. Or I remember this in art class, there were those like ones that were really good and I'm drawing stick figures, passing with a D and they're over creating these masterpieces over here. And you go, why? That's not fair. They haven't had years of experience on me. We're all young, but, but they have a natural ability. Where did that come from? It was seed that was inherited. And so some of us get a tendency when we get successful to think, I did this. I worked really hard for this. You may have because we participate with God. But without that seed, you won't produce anything of great value. And why I'm kind of camping on this so long is because I think this is where, when it comes to the resource that's in our hands, we fight with God over it because it's mine. I earned it. I earned it. God says, no, I gave you an inheritance. And now you work the inheritance. And when you do that, it produces something. And here's what you do. When it produces, when the labor with my seed and my soil and everything I've given you produces something great. Here's what I want you to do. Take the first, the very first, when you see it bud off the vine or the very first when that paycheck hits your account. When you, and he said, I want you to take some of it. I want you to put it in a basket and bring it to the place that I will choose of my name and offer it to the priest and say, here, this is an act of my worship. Thank you, God. God said, bring me the first fruits. And there's a principle behind the first fruits. And this is what I really wanted to show you. There's a principle behind the first fruits that is so important. 
It's a principle that maybe I've talked about in this church because I believe in this, and that is the principle of the first. Everybody say first. Everybody say it again. Say first. The principle of the first. It is so woven throughout Scripture. In fact, would you guys mind for just a moment we can depart from this, and can we scroll a little bit through Scripture today? I know some of you are so good at scrolling social media, so this will be so easy. I would like to, if we can, just scroll through some Scripture. You don't have to turn your Bible. Let me scroll, but if you want to write these down, I want to show you a picture of the first. And it's, it's from Genesis to Revelation, the picture of the first, Okay. We see it immediately and kind of more, um, more present in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, we're introduced to two characters early on in the story of humanity called Cain and Abel. You've probably heard of them, right? Cain did what to his brother Abel? Anybody know he what? He killed him. Okay, so that's how everybody knows Cain. He's the murderer. He's the first one, right? We, and, and sometimes we overlook why. Why this happened, okay? Let, let me read it to you. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. It said, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, the big juicy sheep and goats, okay? Brought the fat portions from some of the what? Can you say that word from some of the firstborn of his flock? What happened? The Lord looked with favor. So we're talking about how do we experience the favor of God. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now, I think sometimes, and I want to say this, um, I understand why. Cain gets a really bad rap. Why? Because in the end of the story, he kills his brother. Bad. We all agree. Terrible. Awful. Okay? But I want to at least point out something. Cain at least brought something to God. He did. There's some part of him that he recognized, man, God, without you, I don't know that I even end up with any of this. This is your soil. This is your seed. This is your fruit. And so Cain did bring some. I want to at least, let's give him a little bit of credit, okay? He brought something to God. And, and he brought some, it says, of the fruit of the soil to the Lord. Some, some. But Abel, here's the, here's the contrast. Abel brought the fat portions, the best of the firstborn. Now, Cain, he was a, a farmer, agricultural. He worked the soil. Abel, he was a shepherd. He tended to animals, okay? A little bit different, different um, area of, of line of work, but they each were bringing something in response to God. Now, it, let me just say this. It wasn't that God preferred gyros over yams, okay? That wasn't why. Let me, let me just clear that up. It wasn't like God's like, oh, I like meat, man, Cain, you got to step it up. No, 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 that's not what it was. What was the real challenge was why God rejected Cain was it was the heart behind the gift. It was the heart behind it. It wouldn't matter if it were fish, if it were sheep, if it were goats, if it were grapes, if it were melons, that did not matter. It was the heart in which it was offered to God. And what does it say? That Cain offered some of the fruit. Abel offered the firstborn. There's a difference. There's a difference, right? So Cain, he offered, I guess we could say it this way, some of the leftovers. Well, here's some of the fruit. I don't really like those anyways. Here, let's give those to God, right? And, and Abel, he offered the best of what he had and the firstborn. And because of it, God looked on Abel's offering with favor. 
If we want to understand about favor, let's get this right. God favors the first. God favors the first. Now, if you're firstborn, you're going, hey, hey, yeah, yes, he does. Okay, I'm glad you're firstborn. You got all excited. So let's kind of keep scrolling, all right? Let's keep scrolling. Let's scroll all the way to Exodus chapter 13. Now, in this story, we heard this in Deuteronomy 26, right? Okay, let's recount the story. There's an Aramean, there's Jacob. He travels to Egypt. Family turns into a nation. They become enslaved. God does miracles, brings them out. Now, this is the moment, Exodus 13, where the Israelites are just left Egypt. Literally, go read, Exodus 12. God does the last miracle. Exodus 13, now we're on our way out. And even as they take one step out of the land of Egypt, God gives specific instruction to Moses for the people. Exodus 13, verse 1. Now, again, all my firstborns get real excited. You're going to love this. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every what? Everybody say it, every firstborn male. Oh, now, okay, all right. Some of you are like, I'm getting excited. Here it is again. The first offspring. Again, you didn't realize first was all over the Bible, did you? The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites. Here's what God said. Say it out loud with me. He said, belongs to me. That's whether human or animal. It belongs to me. So now you're like, oh, yeah, I knew us firstborns. We were, yeah, um, that meant sacrifice them. So now you know the secondborn's better. All right. Verse 3, then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Abib, you are leaving. So here's what God did. They were in this pagan culture, non-believing culture, where they worshiped all these different gods, the God of fertility, the God of the sun, the God of the rain, the God of this, okay? Okay. And they would, here was their practice. They would often offer sacrifices, listen, even human sacrifices to all these gods. So here's what God did. He was like, I need to reframe. It's been hundreds of years. This is all you know. This is normal. This is what the culture does. Hold on. We're going to do it different. He says, coming out, he says, I want you to know I'm the one true God, okay? And I want you to give me, because I get the first I get it. Here's a concept. God requires the first. We say God favors the first. God also requires the first, okay? And God said, you give me the firstborn of every womb. Any increase comes from me. All the blessing comes from me, whether human or animal. Now, here's what I will say. I'm not going to read this. But if you continue reading, God forbids them from actually sacrificing the human sons. Forbids them. No, they would have to pay a price to redeem them. But the animals, he would say, yes, is an animal sacrifice. The firstborn. Now, what's so challenging when God says, give me the first? Why is it so challenging? Because you don't know how many more you might have. What if, you don't, what if, what if our sheep don't have any more? What if, the, lamb, what if the, the goats don't have any more? What if the cows don't produce any more? See, what, what is God doing? He's testing us and saying, do you trust me more than the animal. Do you trust me? And so God said, I get the first. Now, here's what's interesting. This was day one of month one. This is why I read the whole part. Because they actually reoriented their entire calendar around this moment. And God said, today you are leaving in the month of Abib. Do you know, by the way, that that's the first month of the Jewish calendar? God actually reoriented their calendar and said, the first, the first matters to God. This is so important, it's so important. 
And so in the first month, when you come out, you're going to remember what I did, the last thing I did, which was the Passover lamb, and you're going to bring me the firstborn. Now, if you fast forward to Deuteronomy, we saw in verse, or chapter 26, God said, now that you're going into land of your own, that you get to plant and you get to harvest, he said, when you produce of your crops, bring me the first fruits. Firstborn, first fruits. What's God saying? He's saying, I get the first. That's what God says. I want to be first. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 6, Seek first God's kingdom. It's all throughout scripture. I wanted to show you that. It was so much so that God actually orchestrated their yearly festivals, most of them around the first. Did you know that? They had three festivals they would celebrate. Two of them specifically about the first. You get the first, the first one they celebrated in the first month was Passover. They were still celebrating and still celebrating Passover. And what was Passover? Passover was the reminder that that God says the firstborn belongs to me and he sent an angel of death to get the Egyptians to let them go. And if they did not have the blood of a lamb over the doorpost, the wooden doorpost of their house, then an angel would claim the firstborn son. Okay? What, what was God doing? He was trying to show us a picture of something that would point to Jesus, who, by the way, is his first. The Bible says he's the firstborn over all creation. Okay? that Jesus was the lamb that was sacrificed and that his blood on the wooden cross became the pathway, the door. Jesus said, I'm the gate. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It was all symbolic of what God would do, the Father would do through Jesus for us. This is why it's so important, okay? That was the first one. Then they would celebrate another festival 50 days later called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. They would celebrate, and that was the very first time that they would actually go and pluck grapes and get to enjoy them. That would be the harvest. Here's what God said, Exodus 23. Look at this, verse 16 and 19. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. First fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Verse 19, the first of the first. I don't know how many firsts we need, to get this, I, I know this is redundant, but I'm trying to scroll through scripture so you see how important it was to God. The first of the first fruits of the land, of the, your land, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. They, they would have a feast, and God said, at the beginning of your harvest, when you first bring in the first crops, give me the first. How would this translate for us? We would see that here's the principle, that when you get an increase in your life, God says, give me the first portion. Give me the first portion. Now, they would do this through multiple offerings. One was the first fruits offering. There was another one. It was kind of a precursor for what God told them all to really establish as the base for them to give to God. And I want to read that to you. Le- Leviticus 27.30. It says this, a tithe. Everybody say tithe. Okay, I just need you to at least say it once in your life. A tithe of everything from the land. Look how familiar this language is. Whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. God said, bring to me the first and bring to me the tithe. Now, okay, some scholars would go back and say the first fruit offering was actually in addition to the tithe. But we won't even go there because this is so complicated. We won't even go there. What is a tithe? Um, I want to pause for just a second because I have found that there will be people who could sit in church for years, and when you ask them about a tithe, they'll say, I don't even know what that is. 
And so I don't want to look past this. I want to stop for a second. The word tithe comes from the Hebrew word ma'aser that literally means a tenth part. Okay? Ten percent. So if you brought in ten bushels of wheat, right, what percent of that would go, what, how much of that would go to God? One bushel would go to God. This is what they did for their offering and their tithe. God said, when your land produces, he also said, when your offspring produces, he said, I get the first, I get the tithe, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Now I know, I know some of you are going, that's a lot. 10%? Like, whoo, that's, that's a lot. And, and see, God knew that we'd maybe struggle with that. That's why God attached a promise to it. You gotta hear this. Because if you're wondering about God's blessing and his favor, especially in your finances, you should understand what God connected to it. And so Malachi chapter three, verse 10 through 11. Again, we're just scrolling through scripture today. Here's what, here's what God spoke to the Israelites. He said, bring the whole what? Everybody say it out loud. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Here it is again. The references, you notice all the references to the house of God, the place where his name will dwell, okay? It says, test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Okay, here's the part we like. And pour out so much what? Say it out loud, so much. Come on, say it again, so much. Say it like you want some of it, so much. Blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Oh gosh, I would love that. And here's what God said. Oh, and I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. This is the promise of God's favor attached to putting him first in our finances. This is it. God even said, test me in this. You wanna see my faithfulness? Try me in this area. See if I won't come through for you. Just try it. Test me in this. And I love this in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Here's what it says to do. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth. Honor him. And it says this, the first fruits of your crops. When you honor God with your wealth and the first fruits, here's the promise. Again, the promise is attached. And your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Like there is a blessing attached to being obedient to God in this area. And yet at the same time as I say this, here's what I know. Some of you are feeling a tension inside of you right now. And I don't say all this to make you feel bad and please don't receive any condemnation. I believe there's a grace for giving. And when I say that, I don't mean a grace so we don't have to give, but a grace so that we grow in our faith and our understanding. And as we step out in faith and we increase and God blesses and we go, okay, I guess it does. I'm gonna give more and more. We should get to the point. If you're gonna grow into becoming a mature follower of Jesus, can I just say, I've set a benchmark for my life, at least a tithe, at least a tithe. That's what I set for a benchmark, at least. Because I wanna honor God. And when you do, he'll bless you. This um, week, as I was preparing this message, um, I received an email from somebody who's a part of our church, kind of remotely, lives pretty far away. And this email came in on February 1st. This person was actually writing the email in response to last week's message. But she actually ended up preaching my message better than I can. I felt like I needed to read it to you. So I asked her permission. And... um, and so let me, let me read to you this email. Again, I received this Tuesday of this week. 
She said, I just wanna take a moment and share something very significant that's happened in my life recently that relates specifically to last week's message. I've been attending X Church, whether online or in person for about four years now. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old who attend with me and I've been praying and asking for prayer anytime we've offered it written names on cards, the notes that we stuck on the wall when we did the tag it on the wall, if you were here, for my husband so that he would find his place in church with us. He has not gone to church in years. In April of 2021, my husband was struggling with life more than ever. He quit his job at the local prosecutor's office because he felt he was damaging other people's lives more often than he was making a positive difference. For the next eight months, he did not hold down a reliable job eventually getting back a part-time job at our local police department he had worked in previously. He wanted a full jo- full-time job so badly, but nothing was available. I was in support of his plan, but at the end of December, 2021, we had, a, we had to have a serious discussion about our finances. We were at the point of needing to sell any unnecessary assets, restrict spending, and he needed to take a full-time position somewhere else and give up his uh, goal of returning to the local police department. When we looked at the budget, he actually became very upset about me giving a tithe to the church. He said he agreed with doing so when we were in a better spot, but that we weren't. And I argued that is exactly when you have to put God first, that giving more when you have less is a greater statement of faith than when you have an abundance and that without God, we don't have any of the things we've been blessed with. Come on, preach, sister. She... I should have just let her preach this. The the week prior to this conversation, so in the end of December, the week prior to it, she said, I felt God impress upon me to increase my giving to a full 10% of my pre-tax income. She had been given a tithe, but not on all of it. Remember what Malachi said, bring the whole tithe. She said, I just felt like God impressed upon me to do that. One day that week, during my daily scripture reading, I got to the same passage you used last week's sermon from Matthew 6, 24, about not being able to serve both God and money, and it gave me clarity for what I needed to do. I increased my giving and scheduled it as reoccurring weekly donation, and I felt a great sense of peace that things would be just fine. Then, the week after I started automatic donations, you're gonna think I made this up, I did not. The week after I started automatic donations and resolved to always put God first and material things last, and the very day after telling my husband the same thing while we were arguing about the budget, the police department contacted him and not only offered him a full-time position that they created for him, but also gave him a $5 an hour raise. Some of you think I made this up. I did not make this up. It came in this week. I'm like, sister, you are preaching for me. She said, I wept and knew that it was not a coincidence. It was God. Then the following week, I was called into my HR director's office and told, we never give raises, so we ask you not to spread the word, but we want to give you a $2.40 hour raise effective today. You You can't write this better. But then she ended with this. She said, but then last week, another prayer was answered when my husband told me he wanted to start going to church with us again. Let's talk about the real blessing. The real blessing. Y'all thought it was the finances. No, 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 it was greater than that. She went on to say, she said, it's kind of bittersweet. 
we live well over an hour from X Church, and I couldn't get him to concede to the drive, so we'll be returning to the church he grew up in. However, I'll continue to watch online, and we'll be in attendance for worship nights and holidays and special moments at X Church. Thank you for the bottom of my heart, for everything your ministry is and does. I know that it has changed my life immeasurably. I promise you I didn't make that up. I promise you. You see, it's one thing when you hear it in Scripture. It's another thing when you see it happen in a real story. And I'm just telling you as someone who has lived this principle my entire life, you, you would never get me to think otherwise. I've seen God's favor. Can I just tell you, God's favor is not always just money. If you ask her the real answer to that prayer, and you know what's amazing? God used her step of obedience when he spoke to her to release the real miracle that she had been praying for through her husband. This is so important. Please hear me today. This is not just about money. This is deeper than that. The principle of the first runs through everything. Do you give God the first year a week? Hey, you're here right now. That's part of it. We worship God on the first day of the week. You give him the first year of time, you should. We talked about it last week. Honor God with the first fruits, the first of your time. Give God, do you serve others? Do you give the first of your energy to help and bless others? Can I tell you why this matters so much to God though? Let me tell you why it matters so much to God. Because God gave us his first. Remember what I said about Jesus? That's why this matters to God. Because he gave you and I his first and his best. You know, a scripture that's about first, if we wanted, I could scroll all the way through to Revelation, and we won't, I'm done, but John three sixteen. you didn't even realize it was about the first, did you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Colossians 1, 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Bible tells us that God loved us first and that's why we're able to love him. God went first and it's wrapped up in his son, Jesus. And, and so if we could get this principle right, I'm gonna tell you, you can walk in the favor of God. It's not about get rich plan. It won't, you can't manipulate God. Please hear me. It's about the motive of your heart to love and honor God and have a relationship with him. Would you all stand to your feet with me? I wanna pray. And I know that maybe even today for some of you that, that you just feel kind of a sense of conviction maybe in this area? Can I just tell you, that's not a bad thing. Conviction's a good thing. It's of the Holy Spirit. And it's God trying to prompt you into the life that he has for you. And so can we pray, Father? I just, I pray right now, Lord, for, for us as we, as we trust in you with the first. God, I, I wanna first and foremost say thank you for sending your first and your best for me that Jesus would die on that cross, that he would become my Passover lamb so that, God, I don't experience your wrath, but rather I receive your mercy. And Jesus said today, I just, I, I pray that, God, we could step into that. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, can I just tell you, he doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. If that's you, you can just, you can just surrender it to him today. You say, Jesus, today I give you my life. Today I surrender my life to you. Today I say yes to you. I want a relationship with the Father. And I also know that when we get into a relationship with the Father, that's when we begin to walk with him and we can experience his blessing. And so I wanna just pray God's blessing over you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. 
I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I wanna say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.